Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're new to the chapel, our approach to uh, preaching and teaching here is to go through the Word of God verse by verse, and that's what we're doing through the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter we're in here, chapter 12, deals with spiritual gifts, and we're just kind of taking our time because this is such a pertinent subject for us today. In fact, the understanding and application of spiritual gifts is crucial to our corporate life. Now, in verses 8 to 10, Paul gives us a list of some of the spiritual gifts, and we are in the process of examining those, and I am planning to actually use this as a springboard to at least briefly touch on all the gifts mentioned in the New Testament so that we have an understanding of what those gifts are and what they mean so that chapters 12, 13, and 14, I trust, will take on more significant meaning for us. This morning we come to the sixth gift mentioned in verses 8 to 10, and that we find in verse 10 is the gift of prophecy. Now our first thought when we hear the word prophecy is usually about someone predicting the future, someone telling us where we're going to be five years from now or what we're going to be doing. Now prophecy does include that, but it is much broader than that. The word means to speak forth or to proclaim. Prophecy is to declare that which cannot be known by natural means. Prophecy is the speaking forth of the will of God, whether that's in reference to the past or the present or the future. So the prophet of God speaks forth divine revelation. Sometimes that's about the future. Sometimes that's about the past. Sometimes that is new revelation. Sometimes that is previously revealed. But it always has an application to the present generation. The word prophecy is what's called a transliteration. They didn't take the Greek word and find an English word. They just brought it over into the English. So it sounds the same in Greek as it does in English. And it's made up of two words, prophecy. Phi means to speak. Pro means before or forth. And so the word means to speak before that is, to speak before in time, or to speak forth, to speak before in presence. So, generally speaking, the definition of prophecy is to foretell or to forthtell the truth of God. Now, we have examples in Scripture of both of those. Let me show you some examples of foretelling in the New Testament. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul says, This commandment I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight. There were 
prophecies, we're not told what they were, prophecies, plural, made about Timothy, and Paul challenges Timothy with those prophecies that have been made. Then look at the last, or the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy, and verse 14. Paul again says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So relative to Timothy, there were certain prophecies made specifically about what God was going to accomplish in his life. That's the gift of prophecy in terms of foretelling the future. Look at another example. Look at Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts chapter 11. We read this in verse 27. Now at that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. So Agabus comes down to Antioch and proclaims that there's going to be a worldwide famine, and it happened. This same guy, Agabus, in chapter 21, took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and says, this is what's going to happen to the guy who owns this belt. If he goes to Jerusalem, the Jews will bind him and deliver him over to the Gentiles. That's foretelling the truth of God. We also see examples in Scripture of foretelling the truth of God, which is also prophecy. If you're still in the book of Acts, look at chapter 15. Verse 32. It says, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Now, you know as a preacher, this is a favorite verse of mine. These two guys come along to Antioch. They give a lengthy message. It's not foretelling anything about the future. It's taking the truth of God and relaying it and applying it to their lives. And it says as a result of that, the believers were encouraged and strengthened. So the gift of prophecy is the capacity to foretell the truth of God. It may be relative to an individual, may be relative to a local church. It may, in the case of Agabus, be a worldwide prediction. It's also the capacity to foretell the truth of God, to preach, to proclaim with a clear application to the hearers. Now, there are a variety of ways that they received revelation. Moses in the Old Testament saw the burning bush, you remember, and God spoke to him through the burning bush. It would be nice if that's always the way God spoke to us because we could just walk around and look for burning bushes. There are other examples, though, in Scripture. For instance, the Bible tells us the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Joel. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We're not told specifically how, but God spoke to those individuals. 
One of the most common ways in the Old Testament is through dreams and visions. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6, God says, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we get a little indication there on how God revealed revelation to prophets in chapter 14 and verse 30. It says, but if a revelation is made to another prophet who is seated, the first one must keep silence. So revelation came to prophets while they were sitting in church, and God revealed his truth to them. So there are a variety of ways that they received revelation. There are also a variety of ways in which they spoke. Sometimes they just said, thus says the Lord. Other times they used allegories. You remember when Nathan came to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he was a prophet. He told him the story about the rich man who took the poor man's lamb and killed it and fed his visitors, and David was angry about it, and Nathan said, you're the man because you took your neighbor's wife, used an allegory to speak God's truth. Sometimes they spoke in parables in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah describes the vineyard of the Lord, and that vineyard is a picture of Israel for the nation of Israel in a parable. Sometimes they use drama to depict their message. In Isaiah 20, Isaiah went naked and barefoot for three years to dramatize the message of God. Ezekiel built a model city in Ezekiel 4 and then destroyed it. Sounds like fun. Jeremiah smashed a potter's vessel. Hosea married a prostitute to give a visual expression of the love of God to Israel. Agabus bound himself with Paul's belt. And so they received the word of God in a variety of ways, and they communicated the word of God in a variety of ways. You say, well, what is the purpose of prophecy? Well, let me give you three purposes that we have in the New Testament. Number one is revelation. Look again at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and verse 29. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. So it's a revelation. It's God revealing his truth. Now, in the first century, when the church gathered together, they didn't have the New Testament. And so they were dependent on the gift of prophecy to hear the Word of God. Today, we have the completed Word of God. God is not adding to His Word today. And so that aspect of the prophetic, prophetic gift was foundational. We referred to it last week in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. It says the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That is the foundational part of this gift, the giving of the word of God. The word of God is now complete. If you run into people that say God is giving new revelation that is adding to the word of God, you need to run because that's where the Mormons originated from. 
That's where Christian science comes from. It's new revelation that replaces the old revelation. God is not doing that today. If God speaks prophetically today in the way of revelation, it will be particular rather than universal. It will be a particular word for a particular person or group of persons at a particular moment for a particular purpose. Let me show you an example of that. Look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse 1. It says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. And then it names them. And then in verse 2 it says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God spoke to this group of prophets and said, I want you to set apart these two men for a certain ministry. And verse 3 says, then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. That's the gift of prophecy as it's used today, as God speaks to certain individuals or an individual with a specific ministry to do. You say, does God still communicate that way today? Absolutely. But having said that, I want to add this, and that is that I don't think he's doing it in the way some people suggest that he is. I have run into people who are extremely immature, who never seem to spend much time in the Word of God, and they're always telling me, you know, God told me this or God said that. That sounds strange to me. I, I remember years ago my mom met a lady and started bringing her to church, and she went to pick her up one Sunday morning, and the lady came out undressed for church and said, well, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go to church this morning because God hasn't told me yet to go. And when I heard that story, I thought, well, God doesn't have to tell you to go to church. He's already told you to go to church. Hebrews 10.25 says what? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You've already been told that. So you don't have to wait for God to tell you that specific thing. You need to get into the Word of God and start listening to what God has already said. My grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher. And uh, I remember him calling me. He lived to be 100 years old. Um, so you may have me for a long time. <laughs> he called me one time, and he was all excited on the phone, and he told me about two angels that had showed up in Florida, and a little boy had seen them. And I said to him, well, what did they tell the little boy? And he said, they told him, that Jesus is coming back. And I remember getting off the phone and thinking, you know, it says that three times in the last chapter of the Bible. I wonder why God would have to send two angels to tell a little boy something that he's already written down in Scripture. That seems strange to me. Jesus is coming back, and he said in Revelation 22, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly. 
So I think we need to be careful with understanding this idea of foretelling the truth of God. But regardless of the fact that I see abuses to this gift today and this idea today, I think that God is revealing his heart and his mind in specific ways more times than we probably think he is. There are many times when God has spoken to me on a matter where I didn't have a chapter and verse. And I've shared with many of you times when God has spoken to you about a specific matter, a specific direction without a chapter and verse. In fact, I think if we were really honest, we would have to say that God wants to speak to us more than we're probably listening. So let me just add a footnote here and give you four things that you should be doing to listen more readily to God. Number one would be to saturate yourself with Scripture. If you want to know when God's speaking, then you need to get into God's Word and understand God's mind and God's heart and how He has already spoken to you so you will recognize His voice if He speaks to you about something else. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. A lot of people talk about abiding in Christ. The way to abide in Christ is to let Christ's words abide in you. You need to saturate yourself with the word of God. Second suggestion would be fasting. I think sometimes the reason God doesn't speak to us is because we're too busy. We've got our schedule so packed that we don't have time for God to speak to us. And I think fasting is just, it's not just about missing a meal. You can fast from your TV. You can fast from all kinds of things. You just say, you know what, I'm going to take some things out of my schedule this week in order to really listen to God. Most of us get in our car and what's the first thing we do after we start it? If it's not already on, we turn on the radio or the CD. We listen to something. We walk in the house. What's one of the first things we do? Turn the TV on. So we're always in an environment where somebody's talking or there's music or there's something coming into our mind. And many times I think we need to be still and know that he is God. I would challenge you with the idea of fasting to say, you know what, this week I'm going to do without the background noise. I'm going to unplug the TV for a week and start listening more to God. Saturate yourself with God's Word. Fast. Put some things out of your schedule that give you more time to listen to the Lord. Thirdly, worship. What is worship? Worship is getting outside of me and into God. Worship is putting me on the back burner and God on the front burner. Worship is dying to self and exalting the Lord. Worship is an important part of listening to the Lord because to listen to the Lord, I need to have him in the place where he belongs in my life, and that entails worship, to exalt him to that place where he ought to be so that I am in an attitude to really hear from him. 
Saturate yourself with Scripture fast. Worship. And then a fourth thing, which is really sort of redundant, and that is waiting and listening in prayer. We usually use, view prayer as a one-dimensional conversation. We, uh, I don't know anybody that you would get on the phone with and talk nonstop who would probably keep talking to you. But we do that with God. We just keep talking. We say, God, here's my list. Bang, 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 bang. And bye, catch you later. It would be interesting to approach prayer in a time of solitude and say, God, I'm going to listen to you. God, speak to me. And then wait in prayer. Listen in prayer for the Lord to respond. Saturate yourself with Scripture. Fast. Worship. And wait in prayer before the Lord. In fact, you know, as I was thinking about prophecy, prophecy today is very closely related to prayer. There's a great promise in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. It says, if we ask anything according to his will, he'll do it. You say, that's great. Now all I have to do is figure out what his will is. That's right. And see, that's prophetic in nature. I've got to figure out what God's will is, and then I've got to pray according to his will. Now, I know some people who approach prayer, and they kind of say, Lord, if you want to do this, do this. If you want to do that, do that. Whatever you want to do, do it. Not my will, but thine be done. I don't think that's prayer. And I don't think that's what God intends for our prayer life to sound like. I believe that praying according to his will is discerning what God's mind is on a certain issue and then praying that way. You see, that's prophetic in nature. You say, well, how do I know what God's will is? Well, in the parallel passage, John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By abiding in Christ and saturating myself with his word, I am able to discern what God's will is, and then I am able to pray specifically that that will would be carried out. Now, I'm not always able to discern God's will. That's why there's an encouraging verse in Romans 8.26 that says, when I don't know how to pray as I ought to, The Spirit intercedes for me. You think the Spirit always gets his prayers answered? I do too. Do you know what the next verse says? It tells us why he gets his prayers answered. It says in Romans 8, 27, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now understand this. The Spirit prays according to the will of God. That means he discerns what it is. He doesn't pray vaguely. He prays specifically. And when you pray according to the will of God, that means you discern what it is. You're not to be praying vaguely. You're to be praying specifically. And if you're going to pray specifically, that is prophetic in nature. You say, well, what about the Lord Jesus? He prayed, not my will, but thine be done. 
Well, let me ask you this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, was Jesus confused about what God's will was? Not at all. What what was Jesus praying about God's will? He was praying that he would be able to carry out God's will. He knew exactly what his will was, that he go to the cross. His prayer was, not my will that I draw back, but your will that I go forward and suffer and die for the sins of the world. And so when we pray, not my will but thine be done, it should have more to do about me doing God's will than knowing God's will. So the first purpose of prophecy is revelation. Second purpose of prophecy is to strengthen other Christians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. It says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. The word edification means to build up. Exhortation means to challenge. Consolation means to comfort. And so the person with the gift of prophecy proclaims the word of God with direct application to his hearers. He motivates people. He gives dynamic direction to the church. His ministry is action-oriented. Kevin Dyer wrote an article a long time ago The article was entitled, Where Have All the Prophets Gone? And in that article, he said something I thought was very significant. He said, the prophet is sadly missing in our churches. In fact, I am not even sure we would want him around today. The prophet stirs the conscience. He calls for action. He cries out against sin. He speaks against lethargy, against mediocrity, against affluence. He would not be welcome in many places. The prophet speaks forth the word of God with application that stirs the listeners to action. Have you ever said, I didn't enjoy that message, but I needed it? That's a prophetic uh, uh, message that exhorts us to do something. And this verse says it brings about growth and change and comfort. And then the third purpose of the gift of prophecy may surprise you, and that is the salvation of unbelievers. Look at chapter 14 and verse 24. He says in verse 23, if an unbeliever comes into our midst and everybody speaks in tongues, they're going to think we're nuts. But then notice what he says in verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters... He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Proclaiming the word of God brings about conviction and salvation. I've seen this happen on many occasions. I remember speaking at a camp one time in Florida. And I was teaching on the book of Ephesians. And I was in the uh, fourth chapter. And in the fourth chapter, it's simply a challenge to Christians to walk what they talk. And it says in that fourth chapter, 
If you steal, steal no more. If you lied, lie no more. If you got angry, deal with that anger in a proper way. It talks about having no unwholesome words coming out of your mouth. It was a direct application to Christians. I got done with that message, and I said, if anybody would like to accept Christ, then you stay after, after I close in prayer. And I had eight to ten teenagers stay after for salvation, after a message that was really designed as proclaiming the Word of God to Christians. That's what he's saying here. If you proclaim the Word of God, then that Word of God will be that sword that convicts and cuts to the heart and brings a person to salvation. You say, well, Dan, aren't there false prophets? Yes, there are. You say, well, how do you know Who's true and who's false? We know in the Old Testament, there were two guidelines for true prophecy. The first was in Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5, where it says, if a prophet invites you to go off and worship another god, that prophet is false. That's pretty easy. Guy gets up and says, let's go worship a false god. He's a false prophet. The second criteria is rather interesting. In Deuteronomy 18.22, it says, if the words of a prophet don't come true, then he's not of God. And in that same chapter, in verse 20, it says, if he is wrong, take him out and kill him. So if you're a prophet in the Old Testament, you don't get three strikes, you only get one strike. You, You make a prophecy and it doesn't come true, you're done with your prophetic career and your life. That's pretty tidy. Now, I hear, I hear guys today that bother me. They, they get out and they give prophecies about all kinds of stuff. They just throwing out. They sound like a financial prognosticator, just saying this year I think this is going to happen and that's going to happen, and they call it prophecy. I've never checked their record, but I doubt if it's they're batting 1,000. God says if you don't bat 1,000... You're a false prophet. So somebody who steps up and says, I'm going to prophesy, better be sure that God is speaking to him about the future because he needs to be right and right on. When you come to the New Testament, there are three tests for a prophet. These would really be three tests for a preacher. Any preacher you're going to listen to, these are the three tests you need to apply to that individual. Number one is the theological test. Look at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and verse 29. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. When a prophet gets up to speak, I get up to to preach. I don't get up here and just say whatever I want to say. There are elders who check me out and will call me on the carpet if I say something that's out of line. And that's important. That's what he says here. The the other prophets are to be judging that individual. Now, how do they judge that individual? Well, they judge him by the word of God. In fact, look at what Paul says in verse 32. Or, I'm sorry, verse 37. He says, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Now, what is Paul writing? He's writing 
Scripture. So he's saying, if you think you're a prophet and you don't line up with Scripture, then you're out of line. So the first test is theological. You listen to an individual and you do like the Bereans. You go to the Scriptures and see if these things are so. You make sure he lines up with the Word of God. And if he doesn't line up with the Word of God, then he's a false prophet. So test number one is a theological test. Test number two is the confessional test. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, where it says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The true prophet, the true preacher of God, will exalt Jesus Christ. In fact, Revelation 19.10 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In the Old Testament, the prophets looked forward to Christ's coming. In the New Testament, the prophets looked back to the fact that Jesus has come. Jesus is the center of prophecy. And the true preacher will exalt Jesus Christ. If you go away from a preacher saying, man, that guy's slick. He's a great preacher. Either you've missed the message or he's giving the wrong message. Because you ought to go away from a preacher saying, we have a great Lord. I want to exalt Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of prophecy. It's to exalt him. It's to say Jesus is Lord and we are all submissive to him. Theological test, the word of God. Confessional test, he exalts Jesus Christ. And thirdly and finally is the moral test. And for that, you look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is speaking in verse 15. He says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. And who's them? False prophets. The way you analyze a preacher is by the fruit of his life. Does he bear the fruit of the Spirit in his life? Is he bearing fruit that is eternal for God's kingdom? You know, this is one of the reasons why I'm always a little bit uncomfortable with preachers that I only know from the TV because I hear a voice coming out of a box. And I can't really analyze that guy's life. I don't see him when he's not on there. I don't see whether his life is consistent with the Word of God and the characteristics that should be true in his life. I don't see the fruit of his life. So it's a, it's a challenging thing to listen to a TV 
preacher or radio preacher because you really need to know not only theologically what they believe, not only confessionally what they're saying, but you need to see the moral test of their life and whether it lines up with the truth of God's word. We're going to close. But I'm going to ask uh, the Russells to come forward. The Russells are coming to join this morning. Um, We have people come down here not to embarrass them, although we usually do. Uh, We have them come down so that you all can see who they are and certainly make them feel welcome in our fellowship. This is David and Holly Russell and their two kids, Noah and Luke, and they are coming to join our fellowship today. And so I'm going to ask Bill, if you would, to walk them out to the lobby as I close in prayer. And after I do close in prayer, I'll give you the opportunity as you go out today to meet them if you haven't and certainly encourage them into our fellowship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you for the gifts that you give to your church. Father, I thank you that uh, you have gifted certain individuals with the gift of prophecy. And Lord, that's an amazing gift to actually speak forth your truth that we could never know apart from your revelation. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to really realize how significant that gift is in our body and to really be careful to make sure that that gift is used in a right way because we know that you've also warned us that there are false prophets. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church where your word is always ringing clear and true and that you are pleased with the prophetic word that goes forth Sunday after Sunday. And we thank you for that privilege and that honor. We pray today that truly we might be encouraged and challenged and comforted comforted by your word today. We pray in Jesus' name.